Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta, where we are committed to changing lives with faith, hope, and love. We're so glad you are here. Our second reading is from the book of Job, chapter 7, verses 11 to 21. Listen again. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or the dragon that you, O Lord, set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I would choose strangling and death rather than this body. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone, for my days are a breath. What are human beings that you make so much of them, that you set your mind on them, visit them every morning, and test them every moment? Will you not look away from me for a while? Let me alone until I swallow my spittle. If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of humanity? Why have you made me your target? Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 1997, the most photographed woman in the world was buried at her childhood home two hours north of London. And you might have seen that funeral. Princess Diana was 36 years old. At the funeral, her brother, Charles Spencer, described his sister as the most hunted person of the modern age. Now, 16 years earlier, in July of 1981, 750 million people watched Diana and Prince Charles's wedding. She became an instant celebrity, a real princess fairy tale come to life. A single photo of her routinely would garner over a million dollars in today's money. Diana was photographed driving and shopping, eating meals on vacation, and once exercising at a gym. Diana was watched everywhere she went. Even as she lay dying in the back seat of a smashed Mercedes-Benz, her photo was being taken. A week later, two and a half billion people watched her funeral, 43% of the world's population. What is one person that we make so much of her? Like Princess Diana, Job wonders that very thing. Our Old Testament reading today is from Job chapter 7, and Job complains about being watched. He's been watched his whole life, in fact. Job's story begins with these words. There once was a man named Job, blameless and upright, who feared God and turned away from evil. He had ten children and thousands of livestock. He was the greatest of all the people of the East. So Job has it all, a massive family, huge wealth. No blessing has been withheld from Job. When he sits in the city square, he sits in the center of the action. 
People come to him for advice. He's respected and revered. Do you know this guy? Maybe you are this guy. And then Job loses it all. His health, his wealth, his children, his place in society, the patience of his friends. He even loses his will to live. In chapter 3 of the same book, he curses the day he was born. And his friends are stunned by this breakdown. But what can they say? God won't give you more than you can handle? Job says, well, God has. God helps those who help themselves. Job says, what more did I need to do to help myself? Do they say this too shall pass? Will it really pass? Do they say everything happens for a reason? In fact, the central question in the book of Job is this. Does suffering happen for a reason? They do say these things. They say versions of these things. They offer Job all of these proverbs. Every time they do, Job refutes their logic with his lived experience. And it's easy to to pick on the friends, but we say these things too. We say these things to one another. When a loved one passes, when a marriage dissolves, when a career goes up in smoke, when someone we know receives a terrifying diagnosis, we say these things because we don't know what else to say. And if you've been told these things, you know it's not always very helpful. We say these things to parents when their family is gifted a differently abled child. And I know that because I know a mom who confessed to me with tears in her eyes, everyone keeps telling me God won't give me more than I can handle, but Cassie, I can't handle this. Sometimes we trust in a pithy proverb, hoping that it will undo a terrible injustice. And maybe we're hanging our hope on the wrong thing. Now, if you're searching for a nice, neat proverb, you can certainly find them in the Bible. Uh, Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 16.18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Matthew 7.7, ask and it will be given you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened for you. Or maybe James 1, 19 through 20. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Now this is all good advice. If you do these things, you will, uh, prevent, you, will, you will prevent some missteps. But if we only use the Bible as a source of advice, then we never appreciate its full value. We never realize the gift that we have in God's word. Because the beauty of scripture is that it invites us into a conversation, and we see a glimpse of that conversation in our readings today. Our first reading is Psalm chapter 8. This is an uplifting song of praise to God's glory, and you might have recognized it because it shows up in a lot of songs and hymns. In fact, our closing hymn, How Great Thou Art, is based on this psalm. And we have this famous line, what are human beings that you, O God, are mindful of them. How wonderful it is to be noticed by God, to be watched 
by God. But for Job, there's a dark side to this. Job knows what it feels like to be watched by others, by society, by God. But now he's fallen from class president to social pariah, and he's not so keen on being watched anymore. Job says, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain. What are human beings that you make so much of them? Will you not look away from me for a little while, God, you watcher of humanity? Job has been crushed. And as he sits on his ash heap, his will to live ebbing away, still he feels that he is being watched. Biblical scholars point out that Job chapter 7 is a parody of Psalm chapter 8. Job has a real issue with Psalm chapter 8, and I kind of love that. And I think we should all love that, because in our scripture, Psalm 8 has a place, and Job 7 has a place, and they lie side by side. Because the beauty of scripture is not that it gives us neatly packaged advice. It's that it invites us into a conversation. And in that conversation, through that conversation, we are invited into a relationship with God. So Job can't sing Psalm 8. And maybe you can't sing it today either. There's a lot in our lives right now to be frustrated about. There's a lot to be angry about. There's a lot we might complain about. Job can't marvel at the power of God when all that power seems to be turned against him. But it doesn't stop Job from singing his own song. Job sings his own song. It's a song of protest. It's a song of complaint. Now, I was once advised that there is a difference between lament and complaint, and that's true. Lament is a passionate expression of grief. I was told that lament is okay. But complaint... No, you don't use the word complaint when you preach, Cassie, because complaint is a statement against an unacceptable situation. Complaint goes too far. It's too irreverent. I was told maybe it was even unbiblical. And then I graduated seminary. And so standing on my own research and your experience and my experiences and Job's experiences, I say, yes, complaint is biblical. Protest against injustice is absolutely biblical. So Job has a complaint against God. He's not just sad about his lot in life. He's angry about it because it's not fair. If God is all good and God is all powerful, then why does the blameless and upright Job suffer? In the world of Psalm 8, all enemies have been subdued. God offers protection and provision, and life has purpose and order. But that world that used to be Job's world, that world is alien to him now. So yes, Job complains. When my bag goes missing at the airport, I complain too. I complain to the airline because they have the power to find it. And when my credit card gets hacked, I complain to the credit card company because they have the authority to issue me a new one. And when McDonald's forgets to put a toy in my kid's Happy Meal, this is a real struggle in our family, I complain to the server because they have all the toys. 
So Job complains to God because God has the power and the authority and the resources to make it right. The complaint, far from being an evidence of Job's doubt, is evidence of Job's deep, abiding conviction that God cares about injustice. God cares about right and wrong, and God cares about Job. So next week, when you all send me your complaints about this sermon, I will cherish them because your complaint tells me that we're in a relationship and you trust me enough to speak up. Gustavo Gutierrez was a Catholic priest who got his start ministering to the poor in Peru, and Gutierrez saw suffering firsthand. He says that the book of Job is not an answer to suffering. It's a case study of how to remain in relationship with God through suffering. Case studies don't often give us neatly packaged answers. They're things we come back to over and over and over again. Because like a human relationship, our relationship with God isn't always rainbows and rapture. A real relationship is marked by misunderstanding and frustration, disappointment, loss. Real relationships require us to engage with one another and trust one another with our honest feelings and our deepest fears. In a real relationship, we are free to be anxious and angry and ashamed. And we know all this because we've all had a relationship, or two or three, that were not built on honesty and trust and authenticity. If you've ever had a minor falling out with a friend and you just walked away from the relationship, you're not alone. Because sometimes it takes more energy to restore the relationship than to just go find another friend. Superficial relationships come and go. Real relationships are harder because in a real relationship we trust our partner with our vulnerabilities and this is why I believe Job complains because Job has a real relationship with God so Job protests because Job trusts that God is big enough for his anger and his grief and his deepest fears and we can trust God as well when our lives are falling apart, when our marriages fail, when our children stop speaking to us, or worse, when our friends abandon us, when our career stagnates, when our future grows dim, when our health fails, when we lose our independence, there are all kinds of ways we suffer, all kinds of ways our hopes may dry up or our dreams get deferred. And in those moments, in those moments, we can be so tempted to search for advice dispensers, to read a self-help book, to find some magic answer, to consult our horoscope or Dr. Phil, or try in some way to solve the problem of suffering. We are tempted to do this, but as Christians, I believe we are called to process our suffering in a much different way. Instead, we are called to speak up about our pain to protest the injustice, to raise the complaint, to enter into this age-old conversation and trust that our Creator is watching, that God is present, and that that presence 
will be enough. We recently took our kids to a water park, and they can both swim, but that didn't stop me from watching every move. And at one point, I lost sight of our six-year-old who was in this big play structure. And like any self-respecting helicopter parent, I started walking around and around and around, searching for him until he finally popped out the end of a slide. He saw me, and then he ran the other way because he's already embarrassed by me. So he loves to be watched, and he hates to be watched. But I know that for the rest of my life, I will be watching my son. We watch for our kids. We watch for our nephews and nieces, our grandchildren, our siblings, our parents. We watch out for our friends and our loved ones. That's what we do for the people we love. And that's what God does for us. In life and in death, we belong to God. We aren't promised neatly packaged advice, but we are promised a relationship. And we are invited into an ongoing conversation with our creator, redeemer, and friend. Therefore, may we trust God always, even when we feel lost and in the shadow of death, may we not be afraid, but know that God is always with us and will not leave us to face our troubles alone. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta. Come join us Sundays at 189 Church Street, Marietta, Georgia, or visit us online at fpcmarietta.org.